Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host. Welcome, everyone. I'm Annie Levin, and this is Precipice, a show that aspires to stand at the edge, the edge of what we know, what we understand, what's familiar or comfortable, to see what conversations emerge from there. We invite guests willing to explore that terrain with us. They may be expert in certain things, but none of us are expert in navigating these precarious times, so we will be wondering out loud together. This will be the last episode of Precipice here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Beginning in 2018, old episodes and new ones yet to be uh, taped will be available at www.precipice.space. And I want to give a huge thank you to Rochelle McLaughlin and Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio for making a space for this show to come into the world. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Layla Johnson and Gavin U. Pritchard, the husband-wife creative and teaching team behind the new podcast, The World's Wake Pre-Show, a community radio theater podcast. As described on the website, the first episode of the show explores what it will take to really transform ourselves in a movement of love and fearless action, extended consciousness, facing the collapse of the natural planet, civilization, and social order. Layla and Gavin, welcome to Precipice. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate being here. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, So I'm excited to jump in and talk about the show. But first, I think, Gavin, you have a a short one-minute clip just of the intro, and I would love to give our listeners just a little taste. Do we have that clip coming in? Yep, we're calling it up. So we can come back to that later if it's not quite pulling up easily. But... Um, I'm wondering if you can, so let me first say that this is a really amazing podcast and that you guys are, it's very ambitious. You're doing a lot with this podcast in terms of coming at, you've created this completely alternate universe and the listener gets to enter it and learn a little bit about this future, not too distant future United States that's quite different than the one we live in now. And before we dive into talking about exactly what's happening in the show, I'm wondering if you could speak to the origin story of this podcast. Sure. Um, I think there's many threads feeding this. Um, For us, personally, working as a duo on this, We were part of a group of people who gathered in April of 2016 um, who, for the most part, have spent the past um, 10, 15, 20 years in various social movements in the country, um, all basically organized around a Gandhian model of nonviolent social transformation. Um, from the personal scale all the way through the large national scale. Um, And at the same time, realizing that the changes in the country are not happening at the pace they would need to, to, you know, have have a successfully changed direction from the going off the cliff. And also with a recognition that, you know, everyone's working on their own immediate interest in their own social change project. So whether it's combating racism or combating sexism or trying to work uh, to fight against environmental crisis, there was this strong urge to bring all of those people together and say, how can we be one movement? Because these are really all, you know, heads of one destructive beast. They're not, they're not separate issues. They're all symptoms of one underlying problem and realizing that they share a um, a common source a common root the group pretty quickly realized that it, we need to spend time getting to the story the 
the narrative that ties these things together and, and make it possible to talk about that and, and really engage not just our intellectual understanding, but engage the, the emotional grab that really helps us change our lives, both for ourselves, because, you know, it's, it's a challenge to set aside what one has been doing on a normal daily basis, one's job, one's family life, and, and take up something that might be radically different and call for a kind of sacrifice, but also to get other people to, to join the movement. So we were both um, nominated to be on the team that was d- crafting. beginning crafting that story. Um, and this, you know, in a nutshell, this is one of the um, first products coming out of that group in a finalized form. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about that, the focus on story and how important that is, I'm curious if you can articulate a bit of the story that you see dominating the sphere at this point that isn't working and is, and is barreling towards catastrophe or collapse and the story that you were hoping to begin to craft that might look different? Well, I'll, I'll answer that question as best as I can. I, I'm not sure that I can exactly spin the tale that's being told right now, but I know that there are some characteristics of that tale. And for the most part, one of the major characteristics is that it's very intellectual and fact-based and... Um, extremely political and rooted in the more reasoning and um, analytical capacities of our, you know, mind. And I think there's a real um, lack of spiritual reckoning with what's happening in our times. And when there is spiritual reckoning, it comes in the form of what I see as sort of some of the weaknesses of New Age spirituality um, in that the spiritual narrative is that there's going to be an answer or there's going to be a moment of where we win and we just have to hope enough or be optimistic enough or wish enough the right thing, and then, you know, there'll be a happy ending. And so there's, the the thread is hyper-intellectualism and materialism and trying to understand the mechanisms of the crisis down to the parts per million and the tons of CO2 and the statistics on poverty. And then on the other hand, the spiritual reckoning being sort of like, but we can just pray it away or wish it away. And I think what we're doing or what seems true to us is to um, try to get away from some some of the intellectual fact-based, you know, hammering people with information um, and trying to present information in a way that allows people to connect emotionally with what's happening and the shape of our world and offer, um, you know, perhaps a more nuanced or at least um, different perspective on the spiritual crisis that we're in, which is maybe we're, maybe maybe we don't get to win, but how we lose is also can be redemptive. Hmm. It's interesting that you say that in that. Uh, so I hope it's okay if I talk about the first episode a bit. I'll try not to give away too much. Uh, but there's a lot of darkness in the first episode. A lot of we're entering a world where much has been lost. And that, that that's really acknowledged. And I did get the sense that some of what you're talking about is in the story that you're telling where the manner of showing up for times that have darkness might be as important as 
what ultimately the the result looks like. And I, I in your episode description, you talk about the the episode description on the website says the episode introduces the Tower Guard, a radical satyagraha force organized on a national scale that seeks to bring about the collapse of all illusion and reveal what must come next. And I did a little research on satyagraha because I didn't know that much about that movement and and I learned a bit that it's a, a, a Gandhian principle of insistence on the truth or loyalty to the truth and and that one of the elements of it is that the the means and ends are are inseparable. And I'm wondering if you can speak about that principle and how it played out in the making of this show. Sure, that's that's a um that's a great question. The, as I understand satyagraha, um, it means reckoning with the truth regardless of its appeal and whether it is, um, you know, a, a, a dashing to the heart or uplifting to the heart on a sentimental level at that particular moment. So there's this idea that I came across a couple years ago that has really stuck with me and, and informed my sense of satyagraha, and it's a, um, a word, it's, the word is kenosis, um, which means like emptying the self of the idea of self um, to receive something larger, and that sense of larger truth, and then being um, in integrity and devotion to that uh, you know, in spite of, of personal risk, in spite of the natural egoic instinct towards self-preservation. Um, so what we're trying to illustrate in the first episode is beginning ideas of what takes a people from where we're at with the current resistance movements that are populating the country and current perspectives on the very serious crises that face us um, with, with their goals, which often seem to be about somehow preserving or restoring a world that's been familiar to us. Um, and that's with growing evidence on the um, climate science front and, and some other areas of science saying that we're not going to get that world back. Well, then what is, what is the truth that's worth standing up for? And how, how would people migrate toward a new position that might be more effective? Um, and the idea that really resonates for me, or the, the, it's more than an idea, really, it's a felt sense, is, is getting back to a lived experience and a lived expression of the inseparability of us from each other, the inseparability of, of humanity from nature. Um, what does it mean to be in an in unbreakable integrity uh, with everything that exists, whether we're losing it or not? Um, and, and in that sense, the idea that even if it disappears in physical form from the world, that we are still conscious of what was and we are we are bearers of the holism and that's really what we are trying to honor in our actions and so much of the show um so much of the action of the show especially as it develops is designed to is intended to create situations where we're not just, you know, explaining that, well, we need to get in contact with what really is and we need to realize the inseparability of ourselves with each other. We're attempting to illustrate actions that are coming from that and give practical examples of how might we behave differently or how would a people behave if that was the first thing on their minds when they act. Mm -hmm. If I might add one thing to that. Um, of course. There's, uh, I've spent about eight months 
walking across the country in 2014 with a group of people who are very concerned about the climate situation. They were walking from uh, Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., and probably the most effective thing that came out of that was the conversations, the ongoing laboratory of thought and rumination that we had as we walking in each other's company. And the question, one of the main questions that we were asking is, what is the nature of effective and extraordinary action now? Because it seems like all too often the, the movements of, of um, trying to protect something about our environment or trying to restore justice are relying on tactics and actions and, and strategies and really an overall view that comes from decades ago and diff- you know totally different context if you're talking about the India in the 1920s and the 1930s or, or even um, the civil rights movement in the 60s, uh, different kinds of goals and uh, different consequences if they succeeded or didn't succeed, and, you know, and, and an open-ended window to succeed versus some of the time frames that we have to act now or hold our peace. So anyway, the question that arose for us is how... How do we take meaningful action um, that is of that same quality of satyagraha, but is effective for our time and place? And it seems to me that the beginning to answer that question is to reconcile both the need to, to take direct kind of Um, political, social action with this sense that people have that, um, like the author Joanna Macy calls it, this is the time of the great turning. There seems to be this awakening consciousness to the holism and complexity of the world and of nature and, and, and beginning to realize that there's a lot more going on in reality that we're a part of than we realized. And so some of the violence that we've done to ourselves and to the natural world comes from not having appreciated the richness of the relationships and and in in what exists naturally. So somehow promoting that awareness and bringing that forward in action. So when we're looking, when, when we were, when I was writing, what a hypothetical um, direct action might look like in the near future, um, I was trying to imagine what might people concretely do that would boost and hold forward that, that sense of, you know, this is, (laughs) society isn't creating a human existence on a blank slate of, of, you know, insignificance, that we are in the midst of a very delicate and very sophisticated natural planetary system full of, and totally worthy of dignity and and respect. So, I hope that what we created helps evoke that sense of what, of what that might feel like to participate in a movement that really brings that forward in a new way, mm-hmm. despite it being dark. Mm-hmm. You were just mentioning the Joanna Macy and the great turning and the the shift in in awareness and consciousness that's part of what seems like will likely be necessary for the kinds of actions that might really meet the times that we're in. And in listening to the show, there's a section of the show that's an interview with a philosopher. And there's a part of it where the philosopher begins to discuss object permanence, which is the developmental stage when when uh, babies begin to 
be able to understand that if a person leaves the room, that they haven't disappeared. And that we think of that as a sign of maturity. And and there was a line in there about that we're now realizing that it actually marks a moment of degradation, that we're born with other senses that then become inaccessible. And I mention that because there's a way in which the way you've crafted the show seems to call on other senses and other ways of being that aren't necessarily the way that most of us meet the world. And I'm interested to know if that perception on my part is accurate from your perspective and, and sort of how you approached writing this these stories in terms of, because the way that you've ultimately crafted it is in many ways very poetic and nonlinear. And I'm curious about the process by which that happened. Well, I would certainly say that it's intentional that we're presenting this information in a way that is um, that calls upon these other faculties. And um, as to the process, I mean, I think that that's one of the beautiful things that Gavin and I have encountered about working with each other is that we both feel really, you know, at home in the reality of the poetic universe. I just read um, a beautiful article, um, the author of which I'll have to look up in a break, um, about how in pre-literate society, the entire nature of conversation and um, tradition and wisdom and you know, even how people learn how to do basic things like make bread are encoded in poetic knowledge. And um, we also, you know, have an understanding that in previous cultures and therefore in, you know, the minds of people with different worldviews, linearity was not a foregone conclusion that the way that time really unfolds is more of a spiraling out from the center where things overlap and repeat but are never really quite the same. And I think that, um, you know, bringing those truths or those um, necessary elements of different ways of thinking to what we're creating is an important, you know, backdrop. And maybe time will tell, maybe more important even than specific content. I, was, I would add that, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as my operating belief is that we as humans, well, really as, as creatures of this planet, this universe, are much more multidimensional than we are given space to realize and enact in our current social obligations in our, in our situation. So it is calling on other faculties which are lying dormant in us um, and have historically people have relied on you know, entering various kinds of altered states of consciousness to, to draw upon those faculties. Um, and and it's often been a kind of solitary affair. So there's this interesting idea to me, what if as we are facing these never-before-encountered challenges, um, we begin to figure out how to have that productive altered state happen in, on a group scale, a, a larger social scale. Um, and I, I try to use that when I am crafting the, the dialogue, the draft of the episodes. Um, I put on music that's really emotionally inspiring to me and, and transports me. And I uh, do my best to suspend my um, kind of critical, analytical judgment and, and trust an intuitive voice to bring together um, disparate, disparate vignettes that maybe it's not immediately obvious 
how they relate to each other, um, but but there seems to be some inner working or inner wisdom at play about how they come together. Um, and it's interesting because when it's just on paper, there are times where I'm trusting the process a lot, and then there are other times where I think, I, I don't know, this might be preachy or falling flat or, or not accomplish it. But um, as we as we begin, you know, telling the stories aloud with our actors and um, creating the full scene with the sound effects and, and the music, uh, it's been very satisfying for me to to see there is is something magical and more seemingly more than we could intentionally construct at play so i it feels um very special and and almost channeled in a way Mm -hmm. we have just a few minutes until we need to take a break but i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more about that uh that sort of channeling way of moving forward with a creative project rather than coming at it in a linear way where you know exactly where you're going and you storyboard everything and it's all laid out how what what does it look like to approach it more like channeling well um i think layla was very accurate to say that um my creative process tends to be pretty poetic at least in terms of writing uh, so that the illustration in a poetic way of a scene in a way that moves me it, it, like uh, emotionally and and intellectually comes more naturally to me than linear storytelling. I usually it's I'm having to work back the other way and after I get it on paper with this, um, Kind of allegorical sense intact. I have Layla and I have to rework it to make it more accessible from a linear narrative plot point of view, and, and so that other people can follow along. Yeah, and another big piece that I think is different from how many people go about, you know, storyboarding or creating a project like this is that I think we. It's definitely the case that we worry less about, you know, what's going to happen next and place more emphasis on what are the symbols and like Gavin's saying, what are the images and the scenes that are flashing up on the screen of the mind of the listener and, you know, how are those going to be impacting people in the more like mythological consciousness that we are all able to tap into? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good place to take a break. It's time to take a short break. My guests today are Layla Johnson and Gavin U. Pritchard, the creative team behind the community radio theater podcast, The World's Wake Pre-Show, which imagines a not-too-distant future United States that is very different from today. You can have a listen at www.ghostboxproductions.net. And we will be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices, facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? 
Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to Precipice. I'm Annie Levin. And my guests today are Layla Johnson and Gavin U. Pritchard, the creative team behind the community radio theater podcast, The World's Wake Pre-Show, which imagines a not-too-distant future United States that is very different from today. Have a listen at www.ghostboxproductions.net. So before the break, we were talking about your process for creating the show and it being very poetic and drawing on the mythic and tapping into capacities that maybe aren't used in day-to-day life as often. And I'm wondering about, about that piece in terms of what did it require to bring this project from seed to fruition, including balancing it with raising two young children, as I know you are, and your other responsibilities. And I'm curious about that personally, because I find that one of the things I find most challenging is figuring out how to move between those spaces, the space of the everyday and cooking meals and working jobs for money, if that's something that needs to happen, and then moving into these spaces where maybe there's more of a, a mythic sense to them. And I'm curious about how you two have found ways to navigate this and bring this project into the world. Well, the very first seeds of this project um, come from a couple years ago out of that uh, cross-country climate walk I was talking about and imagining what kind of street theater pieces, transformative street theater pieces might, might be possible Um, So some of the original imagery and nascent ideas came at that point. Um, And and to be honest, I really started writing uh, the scripts a year ago uh, with with this current iteration of the radio drama podcast in mind. Um, And that done, you know... Sitting in the bathtub of our house that we were winter house sitting for, you know, squeezing it in on the edges. Right. Just odd odd hours here and there, um, you know, putting it together, bashing it out. And then it sat dormant for a while um, while we relocated to our current town and community, um, partly for the purpose of being around a um, place where there's a strong local theater scene and a strong community radio scene um, to, and, and really uh, recently, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to um, confuse anyone. It's a, it's a new project, so we're really into our first couple of months of working on it. Uh, it was as simple as putting out an announcement and, um, and it really, it, it quickly crystallized from being a... Um, a kind of 
dreamy and creative process to a very collaborative and concrete process of, you know, scheduling with people, getting them in, and uh, recording in our house and having to throw blankets over the parakeet cage so that the parakeets would be quiet enough that we weren't picking up background sounds as we were recording segments. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's an, it's also an example of the truth of the adage of, you know, follow your passion because it doesn't seem difficult for us to, you know, craft these uh, vignettes or come up with these stories or imagine these, um, you know, mythological uh, images because it's what we, you know, talk about while we're cooking dinner. You know, you mentioned like trying to squeeze it in around the edges. I mean, it's just the conversation that we end up having while we're, you know, driving in the car to the hardware store or like while we're making dinner or, you know, just last night we were like laying in bed editing the next script. And, you know, it's definitely an example of something that um, we don't, you know, aside from scheduling the, you know, people to come into our house and recording it in next to our parakeets, like the creative work really seems to just be happening in, you know, the course of our living together. Hmm. Has there been, been, mm -hmm. go ahead. We've been lucky enough to um, have, you know, the, the support of our families and a few friends who really get what we're trying to do and see that there's, um, you know, potential value in it, um, who have helped out, you know, made it possible for us to give more focus on this uh, than we would otherwise if we were just trying to do it completely on our own. So it, it's, it's definitely something that requires that kind of support. Mm-hmm. That's that's been coming up a lot lately in my own conversations is the one of the stories of this culture being one of self-sufficiency and so many people feeling like they have to do everything on their own. And one of the big shifts being beginning to ask for help and call in other people to be part of projects to to undermine that story. And, and because we, we just can't get these projects done on our own. And I'm wondering what, how, how wide open did you have to throw the doors to get this done? I mean, it has been, you know, as concrete as asking family members to pay a utility bill for us so that we can say, okay, we don't have to pay this on our own, which gives us, you know, this amount more time, um, you know, to work on our projects. It's been you know, as literal as asking for the financial support of, you know, our family members or friends. It's definitely a um, dividing and pervasive dangerous lie, in my opinion, uh, this notion of self-sufficiency that um, really I think is you know like a, a social excuse it, it l lets people off the hook of the kind of collaboration that we have to do because people are able to feel you know virtuous or self-contained and and but that's going to come to an end as we begin facing more and more environmental and social difficulties. So we're just trying to jump ahead of the gun, as it were, mm -hmm. and, and be proactive about it. And, you know, it's, it's an active discussion in the town and community where we live um, with, with people reckoning with whether that's fair, whether that's, um, you know, a, a justifiable way of proceeding um, but there's there's a growing sense that we really have to work together and do something categorically different from the old models of sufficiency mm -hmm. and Layla I really appreciate you giving a concrete example that had to do with money because I think 
to one of the one of the rivers running underneath a lot of social movements that is there but not talked about is is money and and that there's still in our culture so much shame around being open about how that plays into the decisions that we make and how we do things and what it takes to get things done and so i really appreciate you sharing that and being open about that like this is how granular it got like do we have time to do this project or do we have to go out and make money to pay this utility bill and that that's often the choices that people are up against in this time and that uh, I more and more I'm feeling like those kinds of conversations need to be transparent and out in the open to free us up from some of the that shame around feeling like we should be able to do it all ourselves or shame around talking about money or, or and and that those conversations are really critical to the kinds of coming together that need to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all that to say that, you know, we, I still sit and I'm like working at the job that I do do for money and, you know, feel super grateful for it on the one hand. And I think, and then on the other hand, I I'm sure many people listening can resonate with like, doing your job and saying to yourself, like, I'm not sure that the time that I'm taking to do this and earn this money is really justified because the things that we need to be doing, like, are not this. And sometimes the things that we're doing are, like, directly harmful. Um, But also to come clean that, like, we have not, it's certainly not, like, completely come out on the other end of, like, oh, yeah, we, you know, asked for help and manifested everything that we need, and here we are. Like, it's definitely an ongoing, like, discussion, and we also deal with the shame of, like, oh, my God, we've had to, like, ask for so much help, and it's it's definitely um, a living a living beast that we wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's very much a part of my life, too. I work in an office, mostly full-time, I'm, I'm, and then, and then do this project, projects, and I'm carrying those same questions that you are around. Is this, is this, can I justify using my time this way? On, on the one hand, that question is there, and on the other hand, needing to still navigate within the systems that still are here, even as I want to be doing work that helps make a space for the birth of something else to come in. And yeah, yeah, it's a, I, there's a lot of gray, it seems like. Yeah. I, another, uh, you know, thought that I just had is to mention that we live in a really small town in rural Wisconsin, and, you know, you might not expect that to be the scene of, you know, people birthing something totally new, but um, we're really fortunate to be living in a community that has a almost entirely volunteer local non-commercial radio station and has... Um, you know, is starting things like um, a tool library so that not everybody has to own, you know, X thing and um, lots of really, really low rent places for people to give presentations and share information and lots of events that are, you know, shared by suggested donation only. And there's a lot of that radical sharing um, going on here where we live. And so it's not we're also not doing this like changing of our ideas about sharing in isolation that's happening in the context of where we live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of this, it's always larger than us (laughs) and part of a bigger awakening. You mentioned again, bringing back to the great turning Joanna Macy. I'm wondering if you, I'm, I'm shifting gears a bit and wondering if you can talk about the show's title because it's an unusual title, The World's Wake pre-show. Sure. Um, I think the inspiration for that to me is uh, the double meaning of wake in the sense of a um, joyful party and cele- you know, a remembrance celebration of something that has passed, in this case, a world that is passing uh, into a, into a different phase, probably for a very very long time. And on the other hand, you know, um, the world waking us 
humanity waking into a um, deeper state of consciousness, a broader state of consciousness about our context on this world. Um, and then the, or it being a pre-show, that's just my kind of strange sense of humor that we're not even quite there yet. We don't even know what the actual celebratory transformative wake might look like. This is just the preamble to that as we um, get our act together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I, when I first heard it, there's a third connotation of wake that came up for me. So there's the wake you talked about, like what happens after someone dies. And there's wake as in awakening. And then I thought of wake as in the, the trail that flows behind a boat as it moves through the water. Yes. And, and it seems like so much of in the first episode, there's all of this. There's, you have actual, you have audio footage from events that have actually already happened. And you also have interviews that are imagining events that have not yet happened. And also stories and, and other pieces of, of audio tape. And in many ways, they're all in some kind of relationship to, to that kind of wake that are the actions that we take have consequences that fan out behind us that we can't even know what the, what the long-term results of them will be. And certainly the things that we're reacting to now are um, both in reaction to the like forward pushing of the oncoming wave, you know, the, the, like the first waves before the tidal wave really hits, um, you know, those things are bubbling up and we're reacting to those. And also the things that we do now also create waves into the future that people will be reacting to and riding out, you know, beyond the scope of our knowing. Mm -hmm. When you imagine people listening to the show, and I, I suppose at this point, you've had people actually listen to the show. So I don't even need you to imagine what kinds of responses are people having to this first episode? Um, a lot of people are crying and feeling profoundly moved. And some people have told us that they've had to listen to it in small bits. Other people have told us that they've listened to it several times and, you know, find something new and exciting to notice about it each time they listen. Um, noticeably, nobody, nobody says, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. Everybody says something more along the lines of, wow, you really said what I have been thinking without knowing the words for it. Mm, that's really beautiful. It seems to be striking a chord for people, even if it's not a chord of sadness. There's um, a couple people have told me that it resonates um, as a as truth like this is there's a way that it brings forward and, and, and like cuts out the the clutter of opinions and and ideologies and political standpoints and really lets something more universal about our condition and our current situation step forward mm -hmm. We have just a few minutes left. I'm wondering if the two of you want to speak to anyone who might be interested in supporting what you're up to about ways that they might be able to do that. Um, well, the one of the things that we're most excited about is we've designed, we've produced the show so that it can be shared on um, our local community radio station, which is WDRT um, here in our hometown and so we're really happy to have any other, you know, small, local, non-commercial radio station pick this up and put it on their airwaves. Our plan is to 
you know, have three in the wings and then start putting them out in a monthly fashion so that it can be syndicated. Um, I know that radio stations are really eager to make sure that if they give you a time slot, you're going to be in it every time they give it to you. So um, we have that in mind uh, with our production schedule to be able to have a monthly hour-long show that fits into a 57-minute slot on a um, radio station. So you can always contact us on our website through our newsletter and let us know. Sign up for our newsletter and you know, write us a comment letting us know that you're interested in syndicating the show or broadcasting it. Um, you're also totally free to donate to our project if you like what we're doing and think that what we're doing is evocative and helpful. Um, there's a you know link to donate there directly on our website at ghostboxproductions.net. And um, we're also interested in hearing the creative works from other people. You know, I saw an amazing Facebook post of a friend of mine and I said to him, will you please send that to me, like written up a little bit more as a, like, you know, political speech, you know, as though you're a guy running on this platform and that's going to go into one of our next episodes. So we're definitely um, interested in hearing what comes up for other people as they imagine a world not yet born. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being here, Layla and Gavin, and for putting your energy towards this beautiful project. I really want to encourage all our listeners to listen to it at ghostboxproductions.net. Thank you for having us. It's been great. Yeah, we appreciate we appreciate the chance to talk about it. It's been so close to our hearts. Well, I'm glad to be able to talk about it with you, too. My guests today have been Layla Johnson and Gavin U. Pritchard. The creative team behind the community radio theater podcast, The World's Wake Pre-Show, which imagines a not-too-distant future United States that is very different from today. Again, that website is ghostboxproductions.net. Next week, Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio will be back with its final episode, Elegant Disintegration, with Dr. Lenny Strobel and Dr. Bio Akomalafe. They'll be discussing how do we live a beautiful life in the midst of a dying paradigm while waiting for the emergent story to be born. And again, this is the last episode of Precipice here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I want to thank Rochelle McLaughlin for creating space for Precipice to be born. Beginning in 2018, you can find Precipice at www.precipice.space. Until then, may we be willing to stand at the edge, unblinking, together. I'm Annie Levin, and this is is precipice. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.